Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. This program is sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. According to Guinness, the world record people, the best-selling book of all time is the Christian Bible. It is impossible to know exactly how many copies have been printed in the roughly 1,500 years since its contents were standardized, but research conducted by the British and Foreign Bible Society in 2021 suggests that the total number probably lies between 5 and 7 billion copies. That's billion with a B. So let me ask you a question. What's the purpose of the Bible? Let's ask Dr. Jennings, who joins us via Skype, that same question. Dr. Jennings, what is the purpose of the Bible? The primary, central, most important purpose of the Bible is to reveal God to us. That's its primary purpose, a revelation of God to man. Under that umbrella, there is a whole lot of subjects that are revealed to us that rightly understood add to our understanding of God. Sadly, though, many people have studied the Bible to identify certain truths that are true. Let's give an example. The Bible teaches a certain ritual or ceremony called baptism. Yeah. You can study that, and you can identify the ritual, how it was carried out, what it was for, and the method of doing it. And you can come to a objective, factual doctrine on the teaching of baptism and stand it up all by itself, disconnected from God. Mm-hmm. The Bible teaches we are to be baptized in water. When we're baptized in water, we're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You can make a whole doctrinal thing about what, and it is symbolic of dying. But you can stand it up as a ceremony, proof text it. You could come up with a doctrine on what's the state of man in death. Is he alive in hell? Is he asleep in the grave? You can study that out. You can come up with a doctrine to teach one way or the other. And you could stand it up alone and prove it and argue it one way or the other based on your beliefs. But if you do that with your Bible doctrines, whatever they are, you are misusing Scripture. Hmm. Because the primary purpose of the Bible, or that every one of the doctrinal truths that are revealed to us, are revealed to us to, in some way, inform us about God. And so the most important question to ask about any doctrine is, what does this say about God? If this is true, what kind of being is God? What kind of universe does God run? What are his methods? How, if I were to do this, would I become more like God? Etc. Etc. This this is the primary purpose of every element of Scripture to reveal the truth about God to us. Now, it also will reveal what is the sin problem. Well, it'll reveal that how it came about. It'll reveal that those things tell us something about God. It's very important what it tells us about God. Yes. It also provides the solution to the sin problem that tells us something about God. But the most important truth, and sadly one that is not often made the central truth in the Bible study, but the most important truth is the truth about God. Now, as we study together, there are ways to approach Bible study that help us derive this central truth, and one would simply be, and I'd encourage the listener to think about the things you believe to be true from Scripture. 
that fact may be true. For instance, you may have a certain belief about the state of the dead. Mm -hmm. That may be completely biblically accurate. But maybe you've never asked the question, what does that truth tell me about God? I'd encourage you to trace that. Start linking your beliefs. And if you find that, well, I don't like to do that because if I think about that doctrine in light of God, what makes God out to be something that frightens me and and makes God out to be a a being that is scary and someone I don't want to be close to or someone I need to be protected from, et cetera, et cetera, then you probably don't have the doctrine right. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. properly understood, all the doctrines lead us back to God and enhance our trust and our love of him. They don't undermine it. But some some things taught within Christianity, if you actually ask the question, well, if that's true, what does that say about God? So here's an idea that many Christians hold. We're not going to trace the proof text and why they hold it. We're simply going to put it out there and ask the question, if it's true, what does it say about God? One of the ideas in Christianity that's debated is the question of whether when God created Adam and Eve in Eden, in a sinless world, Did he at that time give them immortality, or did he create them mortal, where they could die if they sinned? That's debated. Within Christianity, there's wide sections of Christianity that believe that some part of them, you call it a soul, a spirit, was already immortal. He created them immortal. Uh, Other branches of Christianity believe that they were completely mortal, and the gift of God is immortality or eternal life to the righteous. We're not going to trace the proof text from both sides. You can do that on your own. The question that we were looking at today is, if you believe in natural immortality that God gave it in Eden, what does that say about God? And think that question through. Trace that down. Well, God knew that Adam and Eve were going to sin because he has foreknowledge. When he went about creating, he knew that they would sin and have children. And they and their children would have some part of them that can never die, but they were going to rebel. And not all of them would come back to salvation. So that means God, from the very beginning, foreknew and forecreated beings who may only live 15 years, die in their adolescence of a drug overdose, and then spend all eternity in the torments of hell because they weren't saved. What would that say about God if God foreknew and created things to operate that way? Or, well— He didn't really know. He didn't think about it. He doesn't have foreknowledge. And even if he doesn't have foreknowledge, he didn't really have much discernment or wisdom to consider the possibility. He got caught off guard. And so it's like, oh, man, wow, look what I just did. I gave them immortality, and it never occurred to me that they might rebel. Never saw that one coming. Mm, 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 (laughs) Well, what does that say about God? That doesn't say very much good about God either. So for me— If you think along this line, it becomes pretty evident that the God that must be, if natural immortality exists, is not a God worthy of our love and respect, Mm -hmm. but a God who created them with conditional immortality, as long as they stayed faithful, they had access to the tree of life, and a God who, after they rebelled, in the day you eat, you will surely die if you you rebel, that's what Jesus told them, Mm -hmm. not in the day you eat, you will change your disposition and continue to live in some other alternate state of existence and suffering. He didn't say that, but he said that you will, you will die. They brought that death condition upon the race. God did not abandon us to die, but instead came and took that death condition upon himself. And it says in second Timothy one 10, that Jesus destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light. And through Christ, he gives us life 
rather than death. So the Bible says the wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is eternal life. So I see a beautiful God who gave us opportunity in Adam and Eve to stay faithful and loyal, but even when they didn't, he didn't abandon us to the consequence of death, but instead opened an avenue for all who would trust him to receive the gift of eternal life. That's a God I can trust. So this is the type of thinking I'm talking about. You take your doctrines and you trace them back and you ask the question, well, what kind of God would God be if he were to do that? The next question is, what is the sin problem? And you have two options. Well, sin is breaking rules. And if you break rules like humans make up, then you get in trouble with the one who gave those rules, and then you are under a legal sentence of death, and the rule giver has to kill you. And so the sin problem really isn't the sin. The sin problem is what God will do to you for the sin. That comes from understanding God's law working or functioning no different than human law made up rules. But when you recognize God as the creator and his laws are the laws upon which reality are built, then you understand that sin transgresses the protocols for life and health itself, and takes one out of harmony with God and the principles of life. And if God doesn't do anything, we die of sin. The wages of sin is death. Sin, when full grown, brings forth death, James chapter Mm 1, Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. Those who sow to the carnal nature, from that nature, reap destruction. And so which way we understand God's law and the nature of sin inform us of the type of God we worship. If we view God's law as imposed— and sin is legal problems, then God is the heavenly magistrate and the inflictor of pain, suffering, and death, and death for as the punishment for sin come out from God, and God's the source of death. And we need protection from him, and we create doctrines to hide us and protect us from God, and we have a mediator that pleads his blood to him to pay a penalty so he won't kill us. All of this comes and creates a different construct. Versus if we understand that sin changes the sinner, and Adam and Eve, when they sinned, didn't change God or God's law. They changed themselves. And if God didn't act that they and all their children would die of the sin condition, then we understand that God has been acting through Christ, and Christ is the agent of the Godhead in which God dwells bodily for the purpose of destroying sin, destroying Satan, destroying death, and restoring the image of God in man and healing us from the sin condition. God looks beautiful in that way. And so how we understand law and sin directly impact how we understand God. And this is the primary purpose. This is how we have to take and study our doctrines, is not only find the biblical evidence for the doctrine, but then trace it back to what does it say about God. Dr. Jennings, you're a medical doctor. You are really, really smart. I'm just a church member that sits in the pew and enjoys the songs, especially when the kids sing, and I like hearing the mission stories. How are people like me supposed to discover God and all the things you talk about from our pew there on Sabbath morning? So the scripture we're talking about today was written for people, not for doctors, okay. not for doctoral degree trained people. They're written for, it's written for everybody. Okay. Those who have a sincere heart and ask the Holy Spirit to lead, the spirit that inspired the scripture will enlighten the mind as they study the scripture. And the scripture teaches that God has provided three threads of evidence to get to the right understanding of Scripture. The Scripture is given, and God breathed, and it's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness, the Bible says. But in Romans 1.20, it says God's divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men were without excuse. Mm. So God reveals himself in science and nature, and these are his testable laws, the laws upon which reality operates. Some of them are physical laws, like the laws of health, But some of them are laws that govern our relationships, like the law of liberty. You cannot get love in a relationship by threatening to 
abuse and kill a person who doesn't love you. Love me or I'm going to torture and kill you. You cannot get love from that. That's a law. It's testable. You can only get love by loving other people and leaving them free not to love you. They may not love you, but it's the only way to get it. That's why the Bible says the kindness of God leads us to repentance. That's what the Bible teaches, not by might nor by power, but by the way the Spirit works. And so when you understand that, then it goes right back to the doctrinal question, how we understand the Bible. God cannot be saying, I love you so much, I'll do anything to have you love me, I'll even die for you. But if you don't love me, I will torture you and kill you. That cannot work. Because that will actually then destroy love and incite rebellion. Try that on any loved one. I actually don't recommend you do. But if you were to try it on your loved one, try it on your spouse and say, I love you so much. I've, I've done all these things for you. I've bought gifts for you. I've, I've sacrificed for you. I just love you so much. But if you stop loving me tonight while you're sleeping, I'm going to pour gasoline on you and light you on fire because that's how much I love you. Um, and, and understand, you'll suffer. But you only suffer for a few minutes because I can only I can't keep you alive in the fire. But God loves you infinitely, so He will keep you alive infinitely, so that oh. you will suffer for all eternity. Oh. That's much He loves. You. No, 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 no. You see how corrupt that is. Yeah, I do. That violates the law of liberty. It's contrary to any rational person, and a non-theologian can figure that out very quickly. That that idea does not work. And I've got good news for you, listener. CommonReason.com has a lot of resources that go over this material and explain it in such beautiful and clear language. Stop by there. Some of the material is absolutely free, no charge sent to you, and you'll be able to enjoy it. I recommend that you do that. CommonReason.com. This program is sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. Dr. Jennings, who has been with us via Skype, thank you so much for opening these doors and letting us pass through with you and having a better understanding of how God acts and who God is. Thank you so much. Thank you, Charles. And until next time, this is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. Come and reason.